Uh, we are going to be diving into some scripture together. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Joshua 6. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be in a story that's probably quite familiar to, to most of you, but um, I want to pull some things out. I, I really am struck by the season that I'm in and, and perhaps the season many of you are in. And um, I, I want to, even this morning, the way in which, even through the worship, God's been reminding us and encouraging us towards who he is in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of darkness in the midst of storm and um, I believe that this morning the the passage of scripture we're going to look at and the stuff we're going to pull out of that for each one of us is is already a key part of us learning how to uh, how to navigate the process to possess the purposes plans and promises that are over every single one of our lives and so that's really where we're heading this morning and just to give you some context for it in terms of this this message really has been something that the Lord's been stirring up over the last couple of weeks. Most of you know that uh, we didn't think we were going to be sat in this building um, a few weeks ago. And, and so <clears throat> as, we, as we and the staff team navigated the fact that we moved all of our stuff out of here, moved all of these chairs into another building, we moved all of this gear out of here and then subsequently moved it back a couple of weeks later, there was this sense of I, I was challenged slash grumbling to the Lord um, around like, where are you faithful when uh, in the midst of this story of our church family in relation to us having a home and having a building and moving out of here? And um, I felt like the Lord really challenged me in the midst of that, as he beautifully and kindly always does. And, and the reality for me is, is that I was always looking at his faithfulness in terms of what's happened in the last five minutes, what's happened in the last five weeks, maybe even just what's happened in the last five years. And I felt over the last couple of weeks, the Lord's encouraged me to dive back into a much bigger story of his faithfulness. For me to connect my life to a much bigger narrative of, of his faithfulness, which ultimately took me back to looking in the Old Testament of the, the journey of God's people, Israel, and their interaction and journey and intimacy with, with God throughout their journey. And I felt like the Lord challenged me, and, and in the midst of what I want to share this morning, challenged me to connect my story and his faithfulness into a much bigger lineage and story of who God is. That ultimately my story is connected to the, the story and the people of Israel. And I can take um, confidence and courage from who God is as a faithful God as I see my life in the context of a, of a, of a much bigger story of God's faithfulness. And so really that's where we find ourselves this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at Israel. We're going to be looking at a familiar story. And um, really the headline for us is that there is a process to us possessing the, the, the plans, the purposes, the promises that reside over our lives individually and corporately. And that in, 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 in and amongst that process, there are things that we can learn, things that we can grapple with, things that we can grow in that I think really help us in that journey and help us in that process. So that's really where I want to circle this morning. That's really what I feel like the Lord wants to do with us. So why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. And as we look at our lives and as we hold out in front of you, um, the, the promises, uh, the purpose, and even the specific plan that you've placed in our hands and on our lives, we, we choose to trust you again. We want to learn this morning from your word what it is to, to journey with you in a way that is healthy towards possessing those promises, that purpose, and that defined plan. So we hold those things. We call to, to our minds, even this morning, even now, we call to our minds the things that you've promised over our life, the things that we are waiting for, hoping for, believing for, things that you've spoken to us about. We hold them uh, in our hands before you this morning, God. And would you shape us, challenge us, change us this morning such that we can 
do a really good job at stewarding ourselves into possessing that which you have already spoken over our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, let's look at this story together. Joshua 6. If you've got your Bibles, pop it open. If not, the, word, uh, the verses will be up behind me. We're going to run through this story um, together, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one, uh, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand and its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people should go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, <coughs> called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on by before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, um, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guards were walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. Verse 10, But Joshua commanded the people, You should not shout or make, uh, make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and then came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. The next few verses go on to, in repetition, talk about the next few days. And then we land in verse 15, um, looking at day 7. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown their trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given the city. Fast forward to verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, and the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they conquered the city. So we find ourselves right in the very heart of Israel's story, uh, tracking a, a very specific promise which Abraham had been given 500 years earlier before we find ourselves here. And Israel had crossed over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. Uh, this was the land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was their promised land that, that um, God had promised them 500 years earlier. They'd spent 40 years wandering around in the desert, but now they were on the precipice uh, and the eastern border of the Jordan, about ready to step into their promised land. But here lay a challenge, and that challenge was this. They were stood in front of a wall. All they could see was a wall, right? They had a promise. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. It was their promise, and all they could see was a wall. If you, if you go and read about uh, excavations of that area, this wall was a massive wall. 
Um, they found that in, in most places when they dug up uh, areas around this wall, that this wall would have been um, 11 feet high to begin with and 14 feet wide. That was just the base of the wall. And then on top of that section would have been a 35-foot um, smooth-surfaced rock um, that, was, uh, that was laid at an angle of 35 degrees. And then on top of that, there were further walls built on top of that. So you're talking about a monster of a fortified city, monster of a wall. Now, interestingly, ancient warfare, if you'd been around at the time and you were wanting to, wanting to get into a wall, a heavy fortified wall, walled city, there were two options that you had, military speaking. First was that you would stop... Uh, any resources getting in and out of the city. You would effectively cut off the flow of any resource to the city and you would starve the city to the point where they would resist and they would have to, um, what is it, when? Surrender. That was the simple word I was looking for. They would have to surrender. The second alternative and military plan that, that, that would have been around in those days is that you would have, the, uh, the advancing army would have piled up mud and uh, rubble uh, up the side of the, of the wall in, in order to advance, get over the wall, and then, and then take troops into the city to conquer the city that way. The unique thing about this story and the unique thing about um, Israel is that that wasn't the plan. None of those were the military playbook that God uh, enacted and told Israel um, to do. In fact, interestingly, those other two scenarios, they would have been a very protracted, long drawn out way of advancing to take over the city. Um, they would have um, caused, uh, they would have had lots of casualties because either in the building of a wall, a building of a ramp to get over the wall, or actually uh, being at the city gates to stop things coming in and out, there would have been lots of casualties. But it, and it usually took a long time. And so there was something unique about this strategy that we find in Joshua 6, and that was, that was this. Firstly, the strategy was given by God himself. That was the first thing that was unique. And the second thing that's unique is this strategy was seemingly foolish. God simply told Joshua to have the people march silently around Jericho for six days, and then after the seven, uh, uh, on the seventh day that they were to do seven circuits and then shout. This was the, this was the military blueprint that Israel was given. But I want us to step into the detail of this story together for a little while because um, for Jericho, sorry, for Israel, Jericho represented the promise, it represented the purpose, and it represented uh, God's plan for them as a nation. That's what Jericho represented. And so I think there's, there's much that we can learn from, from this uh, situation with Israel when it comes to what do we do about the purposes, the plans, and God's promise over each one of our lives, individually and corporately? Are there things that we can learn in how to be a part and take, and, uh, take part in the process to possess that which has already been promised to us? Like I say, for Israel, Jericho represented that promise, that purpose, and that plan. But what are the promises and purposes and plans that God has over your life? Could you for a moment just think, of maybe one or two, maybe things that are very specific, maybe things that you know God's spoken to you a long time ago. Could you place them in your hands even just for this morning and hold them in the tension of the, the not yet? These are things which are which you things you have hope for or believe for, things that God's spoken to you about. Could you hold them in your hands this morning and potentially as we journey together this morning, have a fresh perspective on those things? 
Because I think there is a, there's things that we can learn from this passage of Scripture that will help us in this journey of, of, and this process to the point where we get to possess that which has been promised to us. And for Israel, there were, there were four really key elements in this story. And those four things I want to bring out and I want to shine them, not just on the light of what Israel did, but I want to shine them on the light of our own lives. Those things that we would hold in front of us, I want to shine these four elements onto what we're holding in front of us as God's plans, his promises, and his purpose for each one of us. And as we, as we do, I, I believe the Holy Spirit will illuminate some things to you this morning that will give you hope for what lies ahead. And those four things are this, faith, obedience, courage, and endurance. I want to look specifically and allow them to speak to the story of the promises on your life. Firstly, faith. I want to make this statement. Every faith journey begins with a word from God. And the process is defining what we do with that word before we take possession of what that word promises. Let me say that again. Every faith journey begins with a word from God. The process is defined by what we do with that word before we take full possession of what that word promises. That's faith. Let's look at it here in Joshua 6 verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given you Jericho into your hands. Let's pause there. There's a little bit of an issue here because um, God is some, saying something in both the present and the past tense, which is odd because he's talking about something that is actually defining Israel's future, right? So he says, see. He asks them in that moment, he asks, um, he asks Israel and he asks Joshua to look in that very moment, he asks him to see something. And he asked him to see something that he's already done. I've already given you Jericho into your hands. So he's asking him in the present moment to look at a situation, look at the circumstances and see something, see a reality of something which God has already done that would define the future. Now this is where, this is where the, the rubber of the road and the journey of faith really kicks into gear. And really it starts with an acknowledgement that we have to look, we have to see something with God-tinted glasses. That's where it all starts. So there's an ability for us to put a, a perspective on the here and now of something that God's already done that helps me see my future in the light of what he's already done and what he's said. It's the ability with faith to have God-tinted glasses. That my perspective could be so shaped, my vision could be so shaped that what I see that is not yet is actually what God has already said. And God-tinted glasses is, is the faith to see what lies ahead by the reality of what God has already said. That's simply put what faith is. And when God spoke, when he said, uh, see, look, I've already given Jericho over into your hands. Joshua had a choice. Was he going to take, take what he could see with his carnal natural eyes? And was he going to say, well, hang on a sec, God. I'm looking right now, and all I see is a wall. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I'm looking, but this whole thing about what you've already done, that's not my reality. I'm looking at this thing with my carnal eyes, my natural eyes right now, and let me tell you, that's not what I see. 
Or did Joshua have a choice to say, no, I'm going to put my God-tinted glasses on and I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to look towards what is currently now and I'm going to let it be defined by what you've already done and therefore what you're saying to me. And that's the ability to walk in faith. We have a choice. We have a choice to, to carry a present focus, what we see now, defined by a future reality. That's what faith is. Can I hold a present course? Can I see a, a present thing right now that is defined by a future reality that was already defined by what God had already done? Messing with your mind? That's faith. When we have the same choice, when God has spoken, when you look in your hands at those things that God said, the promises, the purpose, the plans that, he, that he's given to you, are you going to define those things by God tinted perspective and say he said it so it is I see it not in my carnal natural eyes but I see it as if it is even when it is not yet that's faith and faith goes hand in hand with the second thing obedience you know Joshua had to not only just receive this word in verse 2 where God said see I've given um I've given this city over into your hands. He then had to go and he had to tell a group of priests. He had to go and tell the army and he had to convince them and he had to take whatever faith he'd been able to muster in that moment. He had to translate that faith into the context of a whole nation. And not only that was, was this word that God had given Joshua, it had great detail attached to it. They had detail around what Israel had to do and when they had to do it. They had to march around. There was trumpets. There was six days. And then there was a seventh day. And there was a crescendo. And there was a seven times the, the wall. And, and there was a crescendo shout. And there was a wall falling. And then there was some stuff that they had to do. There was detail. There was a word which, which Joshua and the whole army had to carry faith for. And then there was some detail on which to outwork and let's be, let's be really clear, this was a really unusual set of instructions. This was not from a military playbook. It was not, it didn't make sense. If you actually begin to start to think about it, what God was asking Israel to do was, in an unarmed fashion, walk around a city that was heavily fortified and, and create a situation where they were visible, where they were seen. Like, this wasn't stealth because they were blowing trumpets. It wasn't like, go in the dead of night creep and crawl, paint yourself up in sort of desert storm gear because you want to be hidden. It wasn't like, it wasn't get on your night goggles because you'll be going at night, try and, you know, try and blend in. It was like in broad daylight, wander around the wall with, the, with a massive great big arc and just wander around and blow trumpets continually. Like this was Israel having to do something that would cause them to be vulnerable, completely out in the open, this was not from the military playbook. So you've got to think that in the midst of like responding in faith to what God had already said and then attaching a level of obedience to it, there must have been this moment where you thought, this is crazy. It's crazy. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, you know, I feel like God's told me I'm supposed to be over there, but I find myself following his word and I'm taking steps over there. 
And over there feels as far away from over here as it possibly could be. And over here feels isolated and I feel vulnerable and I feel exposed. How many of you ever felt that? Like you know you're carrying a word, but you're as far from that word. And, and wherever that far from that word takes you, it makes you feel vulnerable and isolated and out, out on a limb. That's exactly what Israel found. But obedience always starts with an agreement with a word. And then living and acting in the light of its truth. And that's where Israel found itself. They were carrying a word and they needed to match that word with the obedience of their lives, no matter the cost. So Joshua takes God's word and the detail that followed and he implemented it with precision and with care. Knowing that actually his obedience to God's instructions was pivotal to the success and to Israel's success. So when God gives you a picture of your future, when you're carrying a word of his promise and his purpose, when God gives you a picture of that future and connects that future with a process, obedience says yes to that process no matter what. Right? And obedience, the beautiful thing I think about obedience to God is, is it keeps us highly dependent on God. Let me tell you this, obedience is not prescriptive. Obedience is not prescriptive. Let me tell you why. So, for, for example, if you feel like this, this year, you're coming into this year and you feel like, oh, do you know what? The Lord is just, I feel like the Lord's told me I'm, I'm going to be promoted in work. I feel like there's, there's favor on me and I feel like God is promoting me in my workplace. Prescription would say, okay, what I will do on Monday morning is I will go into my boss's office and I will walk around him and his desk once with a horn, blow that horn and leave. Tuesday, I would come back, I would step into his office, I would do a circle around his desk and him with a horn, and then I would leave. Repeat for a few more days, and then on the seventh day, you would go in, and you would walk around his desk seven times blowing a trumpet. Let me tell you what that will not get you. It will not get you a pay rise. It's likely to get you fired. And here's the thing. What happened with Israel here, it's not prescriptive. I can't take these, these practices and make a principle out of them and say, well, whatever, I, whatever the Lord's given me is a promise or a, a plan or a sense of purpose, I just walk around it six times and then the seventh time, seven times, like with a horn. That's not how it works. But obedience is connected to, is connected to a person that I'm obedient to. I'm obedient to his voice. I'm obedient to what he says. And so in this journey of, of, and this process of then possessing something, I have to know that I do that in relationship with God, to hear his voice, to know that actually if all I've got is one step towards, towards my favor, one step towards being promoted in my workplace, if all I've got is the one step, that's all I take, and then I say, God, what next? That one step might be, I want you to get in 15 minutes before the office even opens, and I just want you to pray. All right, God, that's what I'll do. Now what? I want you to keep doing it. All right, so every morning for the next six months, you might get in 15 minutes before work, because that's what God's told you to do. And along the way, there might be other things that God asks you to do, but obedience, the key to obedience is not taking some form or formula from Scripture. It's saying, God, I want to walk with you in this process to taking hold of what you've already said, what you've already promised, and the plan that you have for my life. It's all done and integrated into and interweaved in relationship with him. And that's where the third thing comes in. It's courage. 
I've said this before, but, but courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the presence of God. Right? So the reality is, is, that, is that in life, fear or disappointment or anxiety, you know, when, we, when, we, when we're believing for something and it doesn't happen, it's not the absence of disappointment. Courage is when I realize that God's in whatever and wherever I am in this journey, that God's with me. And it was the same for Israel. Joshua 6, 8 says this, and Joshua... Sorry, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walked before, and the priests were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. Listen, the ark of the covenant was key to this victory in the same way that it was, if you look back at them crossing over the, um, crossing of the Jordan River. Israel had to keep their hearts and their minds focused on the presence of God with them. And that's where, the, that's where they found courage. You know, despite them being vulnerable and being exposed and marching around a wall, they could have courage and confidence because God was with them. This was, I believe, why the strategy of why God asked for the ark to be part of what was a military, um, military maneuver. Like, that wasn't normal. But I think God knew that what I need from my people is to have an awareness, what I'm asking them to do and where I'm asking them to go and the process that I need them to go on to possess what is theirs, I need them to know that I'm with them. And so the ark was smack back and bang in the middle of the people throughout every time they went around that, that wall. And so Israel's hearts and their minds were fixed. And so when they felt nervous or they felt vulnerable or they felt exposed, all they had to do was look ahead of them. And they knew God's presence is with me. He's with me. And they could take courage. So they didn't take courage because they woke up this morning and convinced themselves not to be fearful. They took courage because they took a first step out of what was in front of them and what was behind them. It was the very presence of God. Courage is not the absence of fear or doubt or confusion or disappointment in the process. It is the presence of God in the every moment, in the every step that I take. I know that God is with me. That's what courage really is. And so I encourage each one of us, pursue the presence of God through the process. Pursue God in the process of you moving towards what he's promised, your purpose and the plan that's over your life. Pursue walking and worship and time with him. Lift your hearts and your minds off the circumstances and choose to point them and focus on the fact that wherever you are at in that process and journey, God is with you. Listen, he's as much in the valleys as he is the mountains. Like you could be at a time when you think, you know, I'm at the mountaintop. I can see all that God's promised. It's at arm's length. It's right in front of me. Or right now you might be sitting there here this morning. You might be like, I'm in a valley. I can't see anything. Let me tell you, God is as much in the valleys. His purpose and his presence can bring you courage in a valley as well as a mountaintop. Remember what Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are, two of you know, though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. So whether we're on a mountaintop, 
right there about to take hold of everything he's planned, everything he's purposed, everything he's promised. Or we feel like, no, 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 actually, I'm as far from that thing and I'm in a valley. The promise still remains. He is with you. That's where you take courage. And courage helps us and it fuels us with the final piece and that is endurance. The thing about marching around the same wall is that you can imagine every day you'd be saying to yourself, I've been here before. I'm literally going around in circles. I'm no closer to this promise, right? You can hear it in what Israel would have been saying. Nothing's changing. The wall's the same. It's not crumbling. There's no holes appearing. Nothing's changing. You can imagine it that actually in Israel's journey, they would have gone around the wall and in certain places there would have been certain obstacles that they would have had to go around or go over. And as they went up over that obstacle, they would have said, oh, this is hard. What are we doing? And as they went back around the other side, they would then continue to walk around the wall. And they would say, I've been here before. I've seen, you know, and I've been here. I'm seeing the same things. I'm in the same place. I'm not moving forward. And for us, it's the same. We can look at somebody else and we say, I've seen you before and you're married and I'm single. I'm not moving forward any further. And we can continue walking around the wall and we can remind ourselves that we find somebody that's got a job and I haven't got a job and, and comparison and discouragement kicks in and we keep walking around the wall and we see the same people, the same places. And we think, oh, you know, the Lord's told me I'm going to get a promotion and you've just got a promotion. You don't even deserve it. And then you carry on walking around the wall you're like, I'm going around in circles. I'm no closer to where God promised me. I'm no closer. And then all of a sudden, you get all the way around, and you're like, I definitely went over this hurdle before. Like, this was hard last year. Why am I having to do this whole thing again? It's like my disappointment kicks in, and my, my hope falls away. And I'm like, I had to climb that mountain last time. I've got to do this another five or six times. Like, this is demoralizing. You can imagine the Israel in this whole protracted journey, we're like, I'm going, we're going round in circles. And for some of us, we feel the same way. We have promises that we're holding in the palm of our hands. And we're like, I am going around the same disappointment that I have every year, and I'm no closer to what you said. Right? I thought I'd only do that once, just in case you all fell over. But, um, but the reality for us is, is that is that actually to hold those things, to hold those promises, to hold those plans, we're always one step closer. We're always one day closer to stepping into those purposes and plans, right? And if we are tracking with obedience and we're tracking with faith and we're filling our lives with courage because we know that God's with us, this journey becomes just that. It's just a journey, right? And even though it feels like we're, we're circling our promise, that God's plans are still far away. We're always one step closer. We're always one day closer. And then if we can have that in mind, these, these bigger obstacles, that self-doubt, that insecurity, that thing that you climbed over just last year, when it returns, listen, it's not the same because it's one step closer. It's one day closer. It's not the same thing. You're not right back where you started. You're advancing. You're moving forward. Embrace this thing of endurance. Endurance is a, an interesting thing because it, it, it actually does us the world of good. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. He says this, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, our challenges. We rejoice because knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like, listen, there is a, there's so much for us to learn in our process. You know, and so when we hit the same obstacle, we don't just wait the other side of it because we say, well, I've been here before and it was hard work last time. We say, I see and know the grace of God on my life to endure through this because I am one step closer, I'm one circuit closer to stepping into the purposes and promise and plans that you've always spoken over my life. Listen, this is one thing I think that Joshua also knew about Israel. It's fascinating. Outside of all the detail that God gave Joshua, he didn't tell him to tell Israel not to say a word as they were walking around. But I think Joshua knew uh, the propensity that Israel had to grumbling and griping and moaning. So this is what he says in verse 10. So, but Joshua commanded the people, you shall not make a shout or make your voice heard, neither shall a word go out of your mouth. Don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Listen, grumbling, complaining, and moaning will fast track you to moving away from your purpose and your plan and destiny. I think that actually, uh, I, yeah, I think Joshua knew that. And I think that he was instructive to Israel to not say a word. Because I could imagine that, that when Israel um, stepped around to this obstacle day two, I'd imagine that what would come out of their mouth is, oh my goodness, we are doing the same thing again. This is ridiculous. We are going around in circles. What are we doing? This is hopeless. Joshua has lost his mind. What God says isn't true. This is ridiculous. We're in the same place. But listen, this was, this was Joshua's wisdom as a leader. He said, I want you to not even say a word. I don't even want a word of discontent, disappointment, hopelessness. I don't want it to even be on your lips. And there's real wisdom in that. I feel like that's the one thing I've learned over these last couple of weeks is my poor wife, Sarah, has listened to me grumble and gripe about the fact that we're still in here. I have to learn that actually the only thing that grumbling and griping and moaning and whinging, the only thing that it does for me is it moves me away from faith. It moves me away from obedience It strips me of my courage, and it sure as heck doesn't help me in this endurance race. It just makes me miserable. And then I become miserable to everyone else I'm walking around this wall with. I think Joshua knew the wisdom of pulling back from grumbling, griping, and whinging. And I think we can learn that too. There's something about the process of us stepping into what God has said that is not yet that has everything to do with what comes out of our mouth and the posture of our heart and what comes out of our mouth from that place. So if we're going to do this process well, if we are going to, for however many days, weeks, months, maybe even years, walk around this wall to the point of actually possessing that which God has already said, we have to deal with what's in our hearts and what comes out of our mouths. You know, for Israel, these four key elements... Faith, obedience, courage, and endurance were were ingredients that that were part of this great victory of them moving from what was not yet to into their reality. 
And all the way around that, it wasn't in their own um, ingenuity or wisdom or their might or anything. It was simply in their ability to track with faith, walk in obedience, to allow courage to be built, and then the process and journey of endurance. You know, for many of us, we have to realize that when God gives us a word, it's much like when we type in that destination on a sat-nav. You know, we may know that God has said we're going over here, but we've got a place in that sat-nav, a city, an address, and if we want to go to the right place, a number of that address. Otherwise, if we don't have that, we're just going on a drive, aimlessly trying to find where we're going. You know, for many of you this morning, you've placed in front of yourself um, even specific things that you know God's spoken to you about. And for you, even this morning, the starting this journey and starting this process this year, going into this year, is about rededicating. It's about punching that promise back into the sat-nav. It's about punching that, that, that number. You know, you've been heading up and down the street, but you've just forgotten to put number 34 in because that's where you were really supposed to go. And then maybe along the way, you've, you've forgotten to actually listen to the instructions that were on that sat-nav. And maybe you've just been kind of like, well, I kind of know roughly where I'm going. You've just tuned out that friendly voice that says, turn around when possible. And then you become disheartened because you've just lost your way. And you feel like you're as far away from that promise as you possibly could be. But I believe that this morning, there's an opportunity for us to bring before God again what he has said for us to put those God-tinted glasses on and to look again at the things that he said, the things that he's promised, the purposes and the plans that he has for each one of our life, and that he, by his Spirit, would breathe on those things again. That this morning we could walk out of here courageous, that we could walk out here committed to a journey of endurance to step in into what lies ahead. And I believe we can do that this morning with one another. So why don't you stand and we're going to pray.